0: You're listening to MTL Bike Thief, Episode 2, a podplay about rebellion and bike theft during Montreal's summer of protests. Be warned, it's full of swearing, violence, and terrible jokes. Remember, it's meant to be taken in the spirit of good humor, even if you don't think it's very funny. Chapter 5, Power Plant. At 55, Pax Plant still considered himself able. Able in body, able in mind able to eat an entire sugar pie before needing to balance his insulin. But the truth, which was eating away at both his psyche and pancreas, was that he was already over the hill, struggling to hit the brakes before careening into the nothingness of old age. What I need is a gunshot wound. Maybe in the foot, or some fleshy part, he wouldn't miss too much. I mean, then he could retire early. It was while drifting off into this rum cake and non-fatal injury-laden fantasy that he got the call about Godwin. Like countless times before, he stepped into the supposedly secure crime scene to look over the puzzle someone else left for him. He enjoyed this part. The challenge of learning the story of someone else's death made him feel like Columbo, or someone off Law & Order. One of the older, fatter ones, like Paul Servino. But the second he stepped into Godwin's office, something felt off. A dead professor with a head wound and a trail of bloody footprints leading all the way to the supply closet. The first officer on the scene had given the closet a cursory check, but noticing nothing out of the ordinary, had proceeded to shut the door and mistakenly marked the prints as the victims, in spite of their size and orientation. This left Plant with two unhappy thoughts. One, that the next generation of police were fucked. And two, he would need to use his service revolver before the night was through. He hated firing his weapon. The blood, the trauma, the paperwork. But he hated running after perps even more. That's what the younger officers were there for. And so, weapons drawn and nerves raised, plant, opened the door and peered inside, behind the industrial
1: vacuum, and let out a timid little... Shit. Madame? Miss? Can you hear me? Hmm? Miss, could you please step out here? Uh, no. No. I'm good. She's on! weapon. whoa, 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 calm
0: calm down, calm down! Lower your weapons! Sarah stared up at them, seemingly unaware that she was holding a bloody screwdriver. Platt managed to keep a level head and make the altogether not crazy leap in reasoning that the screwdriver was not a ranged weapon, and after a few minutes, he managed to talk her out of the closet. A few more, and she was on her way to the hospital to confirm that...
2: Yeah, she's not bleeding, she's just in shock.
0: Plant brought her back to the precinct for questioning as a material witness. When asked for her emergency contact, she finally uttered the single word, Daddy. And after a few calls, all he said was, I'll send my attorney. Though not uncommon, everything about the situation was rubbing him the wrong way, but he couldn't put his finger on it. Within 35 minutes, Mr. McCauley, the $350 an hour attorney in snakeskin boots and a Chinese self suit, appeared at the
2: precinct to converse with his client. Sarah, don't say a thing unless I say okay it, okay? Uh
0: huh. Plant's suspicions rose faster than his blood sugar. Good evening, Miss Lee. We'd like
2: to ask you a few questions. Uh huh. My client is happy to answer all questions to the best of her abilities.
1: Alright, why were you in Mr. Godwin's office?
2: Miss Lee works with the IT department of the school. She was making a routine follow-up to her earlier appointment in the day. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Was this the first time you met Mr. Godwin?
3: I puked in his wicker trash basket at the Christmas party.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, other than the screwdriver, did you remove anything else from the office? Uh Nuh-uh. Nothing from his desk, his computer? His bike?
3: Nuh-uh.
1: No. Was that a question? No. Okay, Sarah, why did you take the screwdriver, and why did you hide The shock in the moment was
0: too much. He looked much. like he
3: was in pain, and I thought I could help. Wait.
0: Wait. He was alive? When My you- client has nothing more to say on the matter. It was shock, pure and simple. And after the medical exam... He looked
3: like he was in pain.
0: Sarah, has your legal did, counsel... talked to you? I advise you to stop speaking. So
3: I pulled it out of his head. I mean... <sighs> couldn't hurt him any more than it already did, right?
1: Wait, the screwdriver was still inside him when you found him?
3: Right up to the hilt.
1: The look of
0: absolute shock that overcame Plant's face was priceless. Mr. Macaulay, on the other hand, looked like someone had crapped in his silk boxers when he wasn't looking. This is what most detectives would have taken as a slam dunk. But still, Plant's got told him to hold out, wait for everything to unfold. There was more to this than Sarah was saying. And he wasn't going to be fooled by some spoiled little rich girl and her flashy attorney. And so, much to Mr. McCauley's amazement, Detective Plant let Sarah go. After, she surrendered her passport and her father posted $50,000 bail. The charge? Interfering with a crime scene. He decided the best course of action was to let her panic, think back on what she'd said, and stew in her own juices. Until then, he'd sit back, work on his rum cake, and let her build the case for him. Work smart, not hard. After 25 years, this was more than a mantra. It was his way of life. Obviously, smart was a relative term. Chapter 6, Dom of the Bike Thief Byrne, the eyebrow-heavy bartender, watched each time with renewed amazement as she pounded back another pint. She'd crawled in through the back door just after 8 p.m. like someone on a mission to banish sobriety from her life. And like five times before, she pulled out her phone and dialed, F- It's a lie. Leave me a message. Sarah needed sympathetic human contact. The detective had been cold, the lawyer barely qualified as human, and her father didn't even bother to say hi. It may have had something to do with the fact that she hadn't spoken to him in over two years. Not directly. It was always through little, passive-aggressive Christmas cards like...
3: Enjoy your life. You deserve it.
0: But instead of saying all this to Alley's message service, all she managed to get out was... Ah,
1: uh, hi.
0: the am She decided to finish her pint and order another. Ugh. Sarah reached into her bag and pulled out a small black fake pen filled with a CO2 distilled push extract, otherwise known as highly concentrated THC goodness. That's about to smells wacky. Sarah jumped, surprised to find a muscular, skin-tight leather pants-wearing biker dude straight out of Scorpio Rising. The muscles, though impressive, weren't the first thing that caught her eye. Uh, No, what caught her eye was the small mesh window around his pecs, giving her a full view of the chain that both pierced and connected his nipples. Sarah guessed, impulsively, though correctly, that he was not a cop, and offered him a puff of her vape. accepted, and graciously took a long, milky drag, letting the vapor pour off his tongue like cream from a cow's teat. Much obliged. The timbre of his voice tickled her ears. Byrne turned back, catching only the faintest scent of cushioned vapor as Dom ordered a Ribbon on the rocks. Whatever's lowest on the shelf. He sat down beside her, and she imagined him as the kind of man who'd just come off a cattle drive. Only in her fantasy, the cattle were men in assless rawhide chaps. He stared at her, almost through her, and it made her shiver. It also left her kind of excited. What the hell was wrong with her? She thought that this got her excited. What's troubling you, Red Square? Sarah, about to protest the association with the protest, only just then remembered that Godwin's sticker was firmly glued to her bag. I got not to talk about it. Byrne arrived with the drinks, and the man pulled out a thick roll of
2: cash. Let me get your beer.
3: What? Oh. Ugh. No. Thank you.
2: Uh, no strings attached. Really,
3: I'm, I'm seeing a very nice young boy. Oh, me
2: too. So keep me company till he gets here, and I'll buy you a drink.
3: <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Uh,
2: Dominic, call me Dom.
3: Sarah, call me Sarah. No, call me Miss Sarah.
2: As the words came out, Sarah realized how strange they must have
0: sounded. And yet, Dom only smiled
2: back. Well, Miss Sarah, not to beat a dead horse, but that there is one fine red square sticker. Oh, yeah? I'm a bit of an expert on them. They march past my spa almost daily like they own the place. I've seen banners, cardboard cutouts, felt cuttings, face paint, spray paint, sharpie, but that there is one fine-looking sticker I bet someone special gave it to you.
3: You can have it.
2: seemed confused, like she was handing over the keys to her Porsche.
3: This, in turn,
2: confused Sarah. I don't need it. I don't think whoever gave it to you would want you to throw it away.
3: Alright, Dom, what do you want? You want to go in the barrel room for a little giddy-up cowgirl? Because my dance card's already punched. Like
2: I said before, you ain't got the parts or labor I want. (laughs) I just thought we might have some... uh...
0: leaned in, Sarah could feel his ring-clad hand slip over her leg. She was disgusted, and if she was being honest,
2: a little misty. What the hell was wrong with her, she thought. We're both riding down a steep hill, and we're going fast. If we're not careful, we'll both be in for a world of hurt. The only difference... might have something
0: I need. She could smell the bourbon and fine tobacco on his breath and feel the rough grip of his sausage-like fingers slipping further up her leg. Part of her liked the way he smelled, another part abhorred the part that liked the smell, and still yet another part wondered whether Byrne would ever come to her rescue. Don't you think it'd be nice to share your breaks with me? Help a fellow out. Sarah? And like a knight in shiny glasses, Alain appeared in the doorway, staring at her, then him, then back to her. Are you all right, Sarah?
3: Come on, let's go.
0: Dom simply winked at her, withdrawing his hand from her lap. In one labored, (laughs) she finished her fresh pint and stumbled off the stool. Alay lingered in the bar, staring at Dom with all the predatory power of a ferret staring down a lion. Finally, he decided to let it go, and followed Sarah outside, where she promptly slipped and fell in the (laughs) street.
3: Mother, fuck it!
0: Alain picked her up and Ubered her home, where Sarah finally felt the full effects of the four or five or six or seven pints she would downed. So much so that she doubted her own eyes when she saw her.
1: My bike! It fixed itself! No, I fixed it. I had to replace the spokes, straighten out the frame, not to mention sift through the mess of spare parts. What the hell happened last night?
3: An angel came down from on high and gave them to me in a dream. What?
1: Sarah
0: wasn't making much sense, and so she wheeled her new old bike back to her room, ready to tuck it in for the night. Where are you going? To bed. With the bike?
3: Right. Only
0: to drop it in her doorway. All right, well, get some sleep.
3: All right, you...
0: Within 15 seconds of her head hitting the pillow, Sarah fell into a deep and restless sleep that she would not awake from until 15 seconds later. What the f- As she opened her eyes, she found before her another strange vision. A man, leather-clad, overweight, wearing a spiked collar and leather tie, with a deeply unsettling smile. He stood, examining the bike in her doorway.
3: (laughs) Are you another bike angel?
0: More like a bike fairy. That voice she remembered. Dom appeared behind the heavy bike fairy, who persisted in smiling so unnervingly. He examined the bike and nodded. Careful, Seb. That's the one. Dom?
2: Dom smiled, holding the bike up to the light. Hello again, Miss Sarah. Lovely bike you've been keeping safe. Only thing is, I don't think it's yours.
3: What the fuck? Are you...
2: How's about you tell me, is it just the brakes? Or is there more hidden treasure here?
0: Sarah grew quiet as Seb withdrew an array of bike tools from his jacket.
2: It's best for all concerned if we keep this quiet. Just you, me, Seb, and Professor Sleepyhead over there.
0: As if on cue, the fifth member of their band made her presence known. Sarah, I swear to God, I am gonna kick you the fuck out! Kim, now caught halfway between haughty, righteous indignation and genuine fear, stared confusedly at the two leather clad bikers, then to Alain's unconscious body. Shit! Kim turned tail and ran back to her bedroom, only two steps ahead of Seb, who was surprisingly light on his feet. If Sarah wondered how it
2: ended, she need only extrapolate from Kim's. Well, shit. That probably woke the whole building. Afraid there's no time for surgery, Miss Sarah. I'll have to catch you next time. Dom wheeled her bike out the door as Sarah struggled to stand up. Uh, hey!
0: She very nearly made it to the door before. <laughs> <laughs> Seb stepped back in to headbutt her. In an instant, she was down. The next, unconscious. The last thing Sarah heard was the sound of her bike rolling away down the hall, bell ringing further and further off into the distance. Then, finally, Sarah was released into the sweet calm of concussed, drunken sleep. Chapter 7. Ungorked L.A. woke up in the ER of the Montreal General, with a skinny, fourth-year med student shining a light directly in his eyes.
1: Whoa, you're not gorked. Encouraging
0: words, to say the least.
1: What happened? You got the shit kicked
0: out of you, dude. Maybe it was the fact that his doctor was too young to rent a car, or his frank surprise that Alain was not gorked. Or maybe it was the rhythmic pounding that kept tempo in the back of Alain's head,
1: but Alain did not feel well. Uh, can I have an ad uh, Sorry, dude. Gotta wait for the MRI to make sure you aren't, you know, bleeding internally. You mean right now? Yep. So it could be dying slowly? Yep. As we speak? Yep. And I still can't get an MRI. You're like fourth in line, which is good, ma'am. We just gotta wait for the radiology tech to get off lunch.
0: L.A. scoffed. This was to be expected of Canadian half-socialized medicine. Not social enough to provide complete and thorough care to its populace and not private enough to be quick and efficient, but rather somewhere in the unhappy middle.
1: <sighs> what year are you in? For- starting fourth, anyway, but they like totally look over my chart still, so no worries. This, too, was unsettling. Is there a woman who came out with me? Yeah, she's fine, man, a little banged up, but she's awake now, talking to the cops. I'd like to speak with her. Yeah, um, maybe after, cause we got Sir? Ali stood up, feeling at
0: once lightheaded and sick. Obviously, he'd been concussed, but the extent of the damage was yet to be seen. From the chunks he was blowing, he figured he wasn't doing well. As he stepped up from the exam room into the hallway... He caught a glimpse of Sarah, sitting at the back of the waiting room behind a dozen drunk, broken, or otherwise unhappy people. Beside her, a heavy older man, taking notes between bites of a sickly-looking hospital pie.
3: Look, I don't know, okay? I met him in a bar tonight, he was chatty, a little touchy, and then he followed me home.
1: You're certain you never met him before? No. No?
3: I mean, yes, I'm certain that... No. Who knows, maybe the fucker had a break fetish or something.
0: Uh... I'm sorry, what?
3: Brakes. He said something in the bar about brakes, then tried to snap off my brake pads.
0: The now very confused policeman made Allie nervous. Some bloated, tired flatfoot probably looking to wrap this case up neat and tidy. That was their job, after all. The police weren't there to keep peace, but rather the illusion of peace. The illusion of control. Allie longed for something better, but for now, he'd have to settle for... Sarah. Her. She sprung from her seat so quickly, in fact, that the policeman barely had time to move his pie before she sprung around.
1: Thank God! You were still past took you in and I thought. I'm alright, sir. My dude, we don't know that yet. What? I'm fine. Any sudden changes in blood pressure. If you thought I was Gort, you would have put me at the front of the line for the MRI. Mr. Levesque, if I may. Mr. Levesque is my patient and he needs to sit. Mr. Levesque needs a real doctor. Okay. You have every right. Just know my supervisor's taking a nap in the on-call room, and if I wake him up for anything less than an emergency, he's gonna be pissed.
0: At this point, Sarah, Allay, and Detective Plant all stared at the gawky, awkward med student to silently and simultaneously ask, who gives a fuck? Harsh,
1: totally harsh.
0: After dispatching with the three-quarter doctor, Allay explained his side as briefly as humanly possible. Two big bikers broke in and knocked me out. Honestly, the rest is kinda fuzzy. L.A. was in no mood to talk to the police. Not about the bikers, not about Godwin, and definitely not about Sarah. Later, after getting the all clear from the actual doctor, Alay and Sarah took a sunrise Uber back to his apartment, hoping for a few hours of sleep before starting their day. His would be normal, or as normal as he could make it. He was only now starting to process some of what had happened. As Sarah slept in his bed, he began to shake. His heart raced, the stress had finally caught up to him. Alan closed the bathroom door and sat on the floor for a long cry and a short wank. His dreams were anxiety-inducing, oddly sexual, and wholly disturbing. He couldn't fully remember, but there was something to do with Godwin and dancing students. This, he decided, was a small price to pay for keeping her safe, for safeguarding their future together, whatever form it might take. After 20 minutes of masturbating without climax, he finally gave up and crawled into bed.
1: Sleep well, Sarah.
0: The next morning, Alain headed off to a 10 a.m. lecture he was certain to regret. He ubered on in the hope that, at least at work, he could have some sense of normalcy. The 2,000 students protesting outside the front of Concordia would seem to hint otherwise. Chapter 8, Played Again Sam. Sam woke up in the same pile of dirty clothes she passed out in the night before, struggling to find the one passably clean bra on the bunch. She was surprised that she'd managed to sleep through her seven alarms, remaining thoroughly unconscious Holy till shit, it's new. it was almost a badge of honor for her, a middle finger to the established workday. In reality, it was necessary to sleep off the mighty drunk from the night before. Needless to say, she was not a fan of tradition. Traditional workdays, traditional relationships, traditional gender roles. If she'd followed the path prescribed by her parents, she'd be Samuel, the lawyer. Instead, she was Samantha, owner and bartender of Rick's Cafe. Ah, oh, hell. She poured herself a tall cup of thick black French press coffee and sweetened it with a half cup of Baileys. If there was one tradition her parents passed down that she kept alive, it was the morning buzz. She wandered her way downstairs into the main floor of her bar in the heart of Montreal's gay village and got to work. Over the years, the village had undergone a number of changes, from dive bars run by the Mafia, to community-led organizations taking back the street, to overpriced kitschy sex shops springing up beside upscale condos and flop houses.
3: It has more life per square foot than the rest of the city combined.
0: She couch-surfed her way around before landing a gig working the bar at Rick's. To Rick, the original owner, she was the daughter he never came close to conceiving. And to Sam, he was the innocent but nurturing father figure she'd always wanted. Rick was simple. He had no idea his bar shared its name with a nightclub in the Bogart classic, Casablanca. He just ran the bar the way he liked it, and Sam liked the simplicity of it all. The kitsch, the unintentional irony, the fact that people could say,
1: play it again Sam,
0: a hundred times and Rick would never understand it. But after Rick died, Sam inherited the rundown 1,400 square foot tiki bar complete with torch lamps, hula trim, and somehow still functioning cigarette machine. If she had to kill or blow a thousand guys to keep the cafe alive, she would.
3: Welcome to Rick's. Come for the drinks, stay for the drinks.
0: She kept the name because, well, it was Rick's place. And she wasn't gonna lose him twice. But when Sarah knocked on her still locked door, Sam smiled. A friendly face to start the day. Is there any better way? It wasn't until the second cocktail that she finally divined the nature of Sarah's visit.
3: You ever get bikers in here? Oh, sweetie, you don't know the half of it. Angels? Rock machines? No, more like rough trade. Hmm. Leather caps, tight shirts, more zippers and chains than a gal knows what to do with. Not my usual crowd. You should try the fetish bar down the street. Right. And honestly, honey, do you think every gay man on the island registers at my bar with a home address and an 8x10 headshot? I mean, it'd be nice. I just thought, you know, you deal with dangerous people. Queens? The mob. (laughs) You don't need to whisper. The mafia isn't like Bloody Mary. It takes more than saying their name three times to make them appear. Forget it. Oh, honey. I am worried about you. You look like warm shit baking in the sun. You know, for a bartender, you're a pretty shitty conversationalist. Okay, tell me. These bikers? Do you know anything else about them? One of them told me his name. Though that's probably a fake. Why would he tell me his real name? names are good Don these days, right?
0: At this, Sam fell silent. A cold shiver ran down her spine, and she knew at once that Sarah was up a river of shit without a paddle.
3: Or a boat. Dom? Built like a Greek god, the Adonis of Rawhide? Yeah. And the other one, fatter, but strong. I didn't catch his name. A fat man in leather and chains, and his Dom. You know them? Have, have you ever heard of the Bathhouse Mafia? <laughs> what? Come on. It's the nickname for the muscle used by a few of the local spas and bars. And they've built up a real presence here, even expanded into protection, intimidation, political manipulation. They're doing well for themselves. Several bar keeps, including yours truly, have them on retainer. Why? Like we have a choice. Anyway, point is, you actually came barking up the right tree, if for the wrong reason. Let me ask around and see if I can't dig up some intel on your little bike situation. Sarah squealed so excited at the prospect of seeing her
0: bike again that she jumped the bar and knocked over their drinks. What Sam didn't tell her, and what made her nervous, was why they stole the bike in the first place. Though Montreal was renowned for its industrious bike thieves, this was no ordinary crime. If Dom wanted her bike, there was some deeper meaning to it, something Sarah didn't understand, something Sam couldn't figure out. And if Sarah had any hope of avoiding the inevitable repercussions of being in Dom's path, Sam would need to figure it out for her, or risk losing another friend to the scourge of the village in tight leather chaps and chains. But as for the immediate future, Sam had alcoholics to enable.
3: Another drink, hon.
0: Chapter 9. Demo in the Daytime Sarah wandered out from Rick's with the kind of buzz that makes you want to take on the world. Even the symphony of crap from Montreal's congested roadways couldn't dampen her spirit. Are
1: you retarded? You got
0: the green! After all, it wouldn't be Montreal without a little road rage. Sarah floated over to a Bixie stand with one single bike left, as if it had been waiting for her all this time. It was there that she literally bumped into a tall, gangly punk with a jet-black mohawk and a fuck-you-face to boot. He was clutching a Bixie key, so it was safe to assume he wanted the bike, too. But the second he spotted Sarah's red square... You going to the Concordia demo? Sarah figured she'd play along if it meant avoiding confrontation. Ah, totally. So, sharesies? Why not, she thought. After all, they were apparently heading to the same place. So Sarah and the young punk rode merrily along the Maisonneuve bike path, blowing through red lights... And occasionally pulling onto the sidewalk to circumvent slower cyclists.
3: Ah, Sorry!
0: With Sarah on the handlebars and the punk on the pedals, they were making remarkable time, and even able to keep lively conversation.
3: So, what? This Greg guy, he fell?
1: I mean, officially, yeah, but really, who knows, right? From what we know, he could have been run over by a police car or one of the buses the SQ was using.
3: And he was a leader.
1: Well, I mean, there are no real leaders, but... He helped bring people together. Helped to... Lead? Unite people. Using social media.
3: Right.
1: He was a fucking TA, police I, I mean, personally, I heard the guy was a piece of shit. But for the movement, you know, it's a real fucking shame to lose him.
3: Yeah.
0: Something about this seemed to ring a bell in Sarah's mind. She had this image of the fallen red square hero martyred like Braveheart being drawn and quartered. Only all she could picture was Mel Gibson screaming obscenities of policemen. Maybe that's what this movement needed.
1: Anyway, we're planning on marching from the main building to McGill. McGill? Yeah, we're still pissed about the decision to try and expel the students from lockdown. I mean, this is about free speech, right? And that provost bitch is just, like, so full of shit.
3: Yeah, totally. <laughs> Fuck McGill. Fuck McGill. It's
1: a bunch of us meeting up outside the library.
3: Yeah, I'll totally do that.
1: Sweet. She
0: totally had no intention of doing that. Instead, Sarah thought she'd follow her gut and quietly make her way to the IT services, hoping against hope that no one would notice she showed up for work. (laughs) Shit! Forgetting, of course, that her logins and logouts were tracked to the centisecond. She looked across the room at her altogether disapproving, yet somehow smiling supervisor, then down to his message. What are you doing here? I work
1: here, silly.
0: Sarah quickly searched through the employee database for Greg while stalling for time. The results came back with a load of academic information, financial records, employee notes, etc. Meanwhile, Sarah's supervisor retorted with, But you're
3: suspended. Well, I care about the work we do.
0: To which he responded with a curt, simple, Fuck off! Followed by the message, No, seriously, what are you doing here?
1: I'm... Super serious? Sarah continued to type ridiculous things in order to
0: stall for time as she sifted through the information. Finally, she landed on one piece of information that stuck out like a sore thumb. Oh, shit. Greg, the human pancake from the protest two days back, was Godwin's TA. Mm. But as she probed for more information, her computer suddenly logged out. And she realized her supervisor had kicked her off the network. His final message read simply, seriously though, get out. Sarah knew her time had come to an end, and as she meandered her way across campus, heading to her original destination, she surprised herself by ending up smack dab in the middle of the protest she wanted to avoid. Sarah finally saw a photo of Greg, blown up four times larger than the resolution should allow. It was in evaluating his Jason Bornish body and James Bond-like charm, that she finally remembered where she saw him. Like an angel come down from on high, she met him the night of the protest. After he'd fallen five stories. And in an instant, the memory came flooding back. Thank you for listening to MTL Bike Thief and the wonderful cast that includes Adrienne Richards, Eric Davis, Matthew Keyes, Corey Tomimic, Don Ford, Jonathan Dubsky, Jesse Sherman, Wyatt Bowen, Alex Gravenstein, Todd Fennell, and Simon Peacock. Narrated by Daniel Kay, engineering by Michael Fitch at Studio 2MO. Original score by Michael Fitch. Additional tracks, including Funkorama, C-Funk, Protofunk, funk Game, Loot Back, Vibes, As I Figure, Bass Walker, Fast Talking, Controlled, Chaos, One-Eyed, Maestro Pop Goes the Weasel, Anxiety, Prelude in Action, Too Cool, Cold Funk, Back on Track, Cool Rock, Just Nasty, Dub Eastern, Anguish, DD Groove, Longing and Concern, all provided by Kevin MacLeod. Acoustic Blues, Ice Cold, Namaste, provided by Audiotronics, and Direct Video, provided by Chris Zabriskie. All of these, I should mention, are provided under a Creative Commons license. So, thank you. You like what you hear? Well, keep listening and tell your friends. Hate it? Tell your friends it's great and watch their excitement melt away as you laugh in ironic judgment, you sick son of a bitch. The next episode can be found exactly where you found this one. So, good luck.